So uh, I'm, I'm Peter van der Putten, and I'm a director for AI solutions at American software company called Pega Systems. And next to that, I'm also an assistant professor at Leiden University in the Netherlands in the area of uh, AI. And basically I look at, um, uh, you know, the, the impact of AI in business, uh, research, uh, arts and science. Great. So the first question then is, is technology and, and actually we could ask this question tight twice. We can say is technology and then we can say is AI. So we've got sort of two questions here, but it's the same sort of thing. Is technology good or bad? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, like, let me use a, a quote uh, from Melvin Kranzberg, the law of technology, or one of his laws. A technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. And I think the same applies to AI's technology. And that's a statement that you can interpret it, interpret in, uh, in, in different ways, right? But uh, I think it alludes to that AI in general, uh, a technology in general, um, it's hard to say whether it's good or bad because the same technology can be used for good purposes and bad purposes, especially, and it's especially the case in AI, which is a fairly generic technology where we can learn to, to become intelligent, to, to solve uh, problems in a smart, smart way by, by learning from, from feedback and from data. So the same AI techniques can be used to, you know, find a cure for cancer or to do, to do something evil, to implement uh, mass surveillance yeah so um uh so basically it's it's you could explain it as uh, maybe not at the general technology it's hard to say whether it's good or bad but it's never neutral because the moment you build a particular ai application for a particular purpose uh, then it's it's never neutral there's always choices that you make in well for starters for what is the purpose is it for mass surveillance or are we curing cancer but it's also more nuanced, you know, like how do I approach this problem? What kind of data do I select to train these systems? What kind of logic do I embed in, in automated decisions, uh, et cetera, right? So I would agree with that statement is neither good or bad at the generic technology level. The moment you start to build applications, it will never be value-free. And uh, it's good to be aware of that. That's great. So uh, yeah, just you're in, it's, I always, I think this is quite a good quote. Uh, Gary Kasparov has said that technology is the reason why people are alive to complain about technology. <laughs> That's a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so should we be afraid of AI? Oh, I think, you know, when, when I talk about AI, uh, typically uh, I introduce it a little bit with uh, uh, asking the question, what, what, what does, you know, if you just walk out your door and you ask a random person in the street, what is AI and what will be the first association? And it's probably something like robots that take over the world. Yeah. And we have to succumb to, uh, to their wishes. It's not strange, of course. That's a meme that has been popularized by uh, Hollywood movies. Um, and, and, and it plays with our fear to, to not, no longer be the center of the universe, eh? our fear of losing control. But AI is not just about the F of fear. For me, it's also about the F of fascination eh? because um, if we were just afraid of it, it would have disappeared as a meme. Uh, but, but we are really fascinated by AI because we're fascinated by ourselves, essentially. You know? What is intelligence? Where is it coming from? How can it evolve? Uh, those, those are questions that uh, not just AI researchers have been asking for 50 years, but philosophers have been asking these questions for 2,000 years or even down back to the Neanderthals. Uh, these were probably thoughts that were crossing our minds when we were sitting at the campfire. So 
there's equal portions of fear and fascination uh, around uh, AI. Um, uh, should we be afraid of it? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, so uh, I don't think we can always uh, predict, you know, the, uh, the consequences of building certain AI applications. And for sure, bad things can happen. Yeah, so we need to be aware of it. Like I said, it's not a value-free technology, but I also believe in agency, right? So I believe that, that we are an adaptive species and we, can, uh, we need to have the awareness uh, that, that, for example, the biases can evolve uh, and that we need to correct them, uh, but it's, it is correctable. So I always believe in, in um, well, not being afraid because in a way that would be sticking our heads in the sand uh, for both good and bad, bad aspects of AI. Um, likewise, a uh, techno-utopian view of it, it's also a way of sticking your heads in the sand because that's ignoring the problems that can arise. But we should take an active role and learn to live alongside AI, and, and make the yeah make the best use of it. Okay. So you don't envisage an occasion when a robot looking like a naked Arnold Schwarzenegger will come from the future to uh, to try and change 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 uh, change our fate. Then, well, I, I, we we shouldn't be waiting for singularity to happen eh? because the future is already here. You know, like uh, in a way, AI is being used in certain pockets. Of society at, at a grand scale, right? So, uh, for instance, at, at my company, we were doing a lot of automated decisioning, and uh, so uh, our platforms were doing something in the order of uh, uh, in excess of a billion real-time decisions per day. Uh, I don't know, sometimes. So, uh, it is something that's affecting our lives already today, right? In, in good ways and in bad ways. So, I'd rather not wait for Arnold Schwarzenegger to come uh, in some distant future. I'd rather look at both uh, the risks and rewards around, uh, around AI uh, today. Yeah. So you're talking about a fascination with intelligence. Um, and, but it often seems to me that whatever the technology we have at any one time, we draw a, a metaphor between that technology and intelligence. Yep. So there was a time when we tried to explain intelligence in terms of clockwork, you know, <laughs> and then later on in terms of steam engines. Um, and now then computers, and now it's AI. So is AI different? I mean, does that take us any closer to an understanding of intelligence than, 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 than we had in the past? I think that's, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Of course, always funny to look back eh, in, in the, to these older periods and the metaphors they were using back then, you know, uh, to, to what extent uh, people get too much uh, kind of, let's say, sucked into that metaphor and then making all kinds of crazy statements. Uh, um, uh, whereas, you know, like, uh, yeah, when our insights progress, we, we see also the limitations of, of, uh, of, of these metaphors. Um, yeah, is AI different? I, I don't see AI necessarily that much as a metaphor in that sense. You know, the metaphors are more, like you said, uh, the, um, the automatons or the steam engines or the computer with its working memory, etc. Um, I see AI more as kind of the general thirst for us to understand, you know, what, what is intelligence, where is it coming from, and, and how is it making us human? In that sense, uh, you, could even, uh, you could even generalize from artificial intelligence. I sometimes talk more in my research around artificial X, and so X equals intelligence, being a nerd, I need to use a formula, right? So, but X could also mean emotion or religion or... I think uh, it's 
um, using these artificial metaphors, uh, they have their limitations, but it's interesting. It's interesting to, to look at intelligence through an artificial lens and to see what more can we understand about intelligence by using that metaphor, but also we get we might get a better understanding of the limits of that particular metaphor. And the same, go, same goes for artificial creativity and uh, artificial, uh, artificial acts. Okay, that's great. Um, so the, the next question, do, uh, my question is, can you think of three ways in which AI will benefit humanity? Uh, yet another good question. Of course, uh, people sometimes also align it with uh, things like the UN uh, uh, sustainable development goals and, and, and things like that. And there's obviously quite a few areas uh, where you could uh, apply that. Uh, uh, one, one, you know, an obvious one, maybe in these days of COVID, uh, is, is healthcare, right? So uh, the use of this intelligence to, to do drug discovery uh, in silico experimentation of different uh, types of drugs, but also more generic, you know, more generically when we think about uh, people with certain uh, uh, handicaps, uh, how can we, uh, how can we uh, help the blind see again or the deaf hear again? Um, there's no reason to stop then also uh, to say, will take the so-called normal people as the as the uh, the definition of um, of 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 how, you know what is good so we could enable that uh, we uh, we can enable these um, these people even further beyond uh, the human standard so we get a little bit into the into their superhumans but i think healthcare in that sense uh, or in, in a broad sense is an interesting uh, field another one and of course, where we've seen a lot of progress recently in AI is around language and understanding of language. There's still a lot, lot of work to do, but obviously uh, language is the way how we express our culture, how we share, how we can have a, a quicker evolution than just natural selection, eh? the cultural evolution. So if we can uh, break down uh, the barriers across different languages, uh, it will enable um, yeah, potentially disadvantaged people to learn uh, uh, you can imagine if you don't speak English, but if there's good language technology um, and, you know, I could just have a nowadays a relatively cheap smartphone and I could still get um, the same access to, well, sim, not the same, but maybe similar levels of action or better access of, to, to, to knowledge and education. And, it, and maybe it can also help uh, people to understand each other better. And maybe the third area could be uh, and it, that, that same... Um, categories around um, uh, yeah, topics like climate change, for example. Eh? So um, uh, a side project that I did myself was with, together with Jeroen van der Most, who is an AI artist. And we used that language technology to give nature a voice. So to, um, to let um, uh, the idea here is like you have melting glaciers, they're under threat of climate change, but they don't have a voice to uh, to warn us and protest about uh, climate change. Uh, and we use that language technology, uh, the latest one from OpenAI to, to uh, generate uh, letters to world leaders uh, or, you know, on behalf of the, uh, the, the sinking island or the, um, uh, or the melting glacier. Uh, now that's of course a bit of a poetic project, but in general, you can imagine uh, that uh, climate change uh, when it's about the uh, simulation of uh, of climate or simulation of different uh, instruments that we have to fight climate change uh, that AI could play a role there as well.
That's great. So, um, so your three three examples there. Though. The first one, I immediately thought of um, the Six Million Dollar Man. Do you remember that TV series with the with the bionic man, Steve Majors? That's that's my first thought I had had there. And um, your second your second one was about um, language translation. My first thought there was uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, and the Babelfish. You know, and uh, but it could it could bring down barriers. I think it could make the world a much more. You know, it sounds idealistic, but it could make the world slightly more united and overcome cultural misunderstandings. I think if if um, AI can help us achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, And how has AI already had uh, a positive impact on the world? Yeah, so, um, well, there's, again, you know, there's myriad, myriads of ways how AI uh, has impacted uh, the world or maybe also our everyday lives. Uh, like, uh, I mean, take, take the likes of Google, where you, whether you hate, hate them or love them, uh, we, we're, we're all using it on a, on a daily basis, uh, most likely yeah, to search for information, uh, get connected to uh, services and, uh, and and whatnot. So that's a very kind of, um, um, uh, well, ba basic example uh, that comes with both its pluses and minuses, of course. Um, I think another, yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit along the lines of those, those previous examples. And when I spoke about languages, why would it be kind of restricted to, um, to, uh, to, to text and, and, and speech, right? So uh, for instance, uh, one of the, the research projects I work on also has to do with sign language, right? So uh, how, can we, how can we understand sign language? Um, uh, can we automatically extract meaning from uh, videos where people are signing? We're, we're studying West African sign languages. So we're applying these methods in domains where uh, we have uh, movies of people signing in the wild in, you know, and, and also um, using systems that maybe originally were more trained on typical Western European uh, uh, people. And so I'm here, we're, we're trying to make sure that we can apply these methods also in, you know, uh, in, 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 in different domains. So I think that's, that's also an example of, um, you know, uh, potentially good applications of, uh, of, of AI. And so I think overall the, the impact um, has been positive, but also I think we're, uh, if you can use a metaphor, we're, we're in, the, in the puberty of AI in society. You know, in the beginning, it was all fantastic, uh, typical techno-optimism of uh, all the wonderful things we could do with AI. And now, you know, it's part of us growing up, growing up with AI entering our worlds. You know, we, we're reaching this kind of AI puberty and we, we we start to see some, you know, some of the behaviors of AI that we don't really like, which it, it, it's a natural evolution, right? So, uh, and, and we need to learn to live with, uh, with the AI and, and, and make sure that we counter, that we are aware that indeed AI is not value-free and that we can prevent any unwanted side, side effects. Um, and, and in this way, we will, we will learn to live with the AI. So how can AI become biased? So there could be uh, different ways uh, how AI could, could become uh, biased. Uh, basically, you could say um, it, it, that it kind of ties back to what are some of the key ingredi ingredients of how AI really works, right? So 
Uh, um, take, um, um, take a computer chess program, you know, Alan Turing, he wrote the first computer chess program. And what he did, he kind of took the rules of the game uh, and because that would tell you how you could move a particular piece on the board. But you also need rules around what is likely to be a good move. And this way you can play against yourself and, and you can think ahead and you can prune this search space to make uh, the, 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 the right um, decisions. So that's rules and reasoning. And the other side of AI is more around uh, machine learning yeah? because how would you know? And Turing knew that as well himself. He said, well, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the best chess player in the world. So who knows whether I came up with the right rules here. Uh, maybe they're based on my assumptions and biases. And now how can I ever become better? So that's uh, where machine learning actually came into play. Uh, so how can we learn from data? Uh, can we learn from playing chess games and then ultimately uh, become Deep Blue and, uh, and beat Gary Kasparov? Or uh, can we learn from playing a lot of simulated goal games and, and use that to, uh, to um, uh, you know, become uh, beat a human uh, Go or world champion like uh, DeepMind did. And so um, both through reasoning and logic and rules, as well as through learning, that bias can creep in. And rules, because they're based on maybe certain assumptions that we make in these very explicit logic and rules that are essentially biased and wrong. Uh, now, the good thing about learning is to some extent they can counter, uh, counter that because machine learning can actually learn from data and from evidence but it doesn't make it value free. And so if um, um, the, the way how I actually set up my uh, data set, uh, the way how, how I, you know, the, the, what kind of data I feed to the system will actually influence uh, whether if I feed it biased information, uh, the model is, 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 it's not good or bad, it's blind and it will take whatever data you feed it and whatever correlations you feed it and, and, and it will draw its conclusion based on the data. And so, so that can influence it. A typical example was a healthcare model. There was, uh, there was a, a research paper in science that reported on that. But it was a, a model built with good intent. Again, you know, you can see that evil AI can, can come from also when people build something with good intent, healthcare model for prevention. Yeah, but the, the problem was that the, re, uh, the people that built those models they said like, oh, let's take the state of uh, a patient, let's say at the end of 2018, and then let's, let's see if they develop some uh, disease in future. And what they did, they said like, let's, let's predict uh, what is the healthcare cost, let's say in 2019 or 2020. Well, you can already feel where it's going wrong here because uh, if in, 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 um, unfortunately, if, you are, um, if you're in the, um, in the US and you have the same health conditions, but you're black, uh, uh, less money will be spent on uh, healthcare for you, right? So simply by using future healthcare costs or uh, as a proxy, you're, you're building bias into the system. And the researchers could correct that by saying, let's not look at the cost, but let's try to see whether we have data about whether people developed the chronic disease, yes or no, as opposed to how much did we spend on these particular patients. That would already make it better, you know? The, um, um, uh, I believe that two and a half times more black people would be identified for a preventative care uh, program this particular way. And so a little bit long-winded, uh, but uh, um, there are two key ingredients of AI, reasoning and learning. So that means also there could be different sources for bias to creep into the system, either the bias in the logic 
or the bias is in a model and these models are influenced by the, the, the data that we feed them or potentially also uh, when we apply this AI at runtime, uh, there could also be uh, data quality issues that, that lead to bias. So is there a way that we can automate the process of identifying um, bias in AI? So, so can, can, I, can AI police itself effectively? Like, I mean, there are ways. Uh, so, of course, you need to, there are some systemic issues uh, that, that need to be fixed in the sense that people need to be, don't think data is objective uh, because data is subjective. Mm -hmm. So, any AI that uses data, uh, by definition, will be subjective. So, it starts with that awareness, yeah, of um, uh, systemic issues of discrimination or whatever that could exist, uh, so that we are aware that it may happen. And so the next step then is also to uh, to make sure that you have the proper controls in place uh, that for starters, you can detect the bias and that that's in in your models, but also in your automated decisions. Right. So, uh, for example, uh, what our customers do, they use a particular ethical bias check capability where we say, hey, let's uh, when we're making automated decisions and these are material decisions. Uh, maybe not just a certain marketing offer, but can we give you a loan or not, for example? It's, it's a material decision. Can we simulate uh, whether these decisions are biased or not? Uh, let, let, let's take a, let's grab a historical data set of customers and, and see what those decisions are. And let's look at certain protected variables like gender or, or income or whatever it is. Uh, and and, and let's, let's test um, whether you know uh, the, the bias in these models and decisions is, is still within limits. So it starts with awareness that in terms of automation, you could have automated methods to actually detect uh, whether there's bias in these models and decisions. That's, that's, not, that's not too hard, you know, it's not rocket science. Uh, the next step is to uh, indeed to correct it. Yeah, so, and uh, there's certain methods for self-correction. Huh? So algorithms that, would re-rate your models or, or things like that. Yeah, but I think it's also important to look at the root cause. And so when you think of that example with the healthcare prevention model, the fundamental issue was lesson one in science and how do you set up your experiments and that they used models that predict future healthcare costs. That was wrong, you know? So if you have all kinds of self-correcting algorithms that are trying to counter for that, uh, you're, you're solving the problem in the wrong place. You should have, uh, you should have set up your data differently and then uh, you would not have had these bias issues. So I think it's certainly possible, but it needs to be countered with, um, you know, uh, awareness of systemic issues and, 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 and people need to keep their thinking hat on uh, uh, if they apply these methods to see what was actually the root cause of my bias here. Is it logic? Is it models? Is it how I set up my data? as opposed to just, again, you know, maybe have a, a techno-utopian approach to it, like, oh, well, we'll let uh, the black box has some issues, we'll have another black box that ultimately corrects for it, and we don't have to uh, worry about it anymore, right? That could be more damaging. So I guess this is, this is similar to what we've been discussing, but what is ethical AI? Well, ethical AI is not just about bias, but it, it, it introduces also other aspects around uh, around AI. For instance, transparency, you know, like uh, you can imagine you want, you may want to have a balance between how accurate a uh, particular AI is versus can we still understand um, the decisions that are made by uh, AI? 
Yeah, maybe some super duper deep learning neural network. We may think that it gives more accurate predictions, but if we don't really understand, you know, how it gets to those predictions, maybe we should not be using it for uh, particular uh, particular use cases. And what's what's kind of aligned with that aspect of transparency is explainability or explainable AI. And can we can we ask the AI uh, how it got to a particular prediction or decision uh, for for one particular for one particular case? Yeah. Um, and so um, robustness is another one, right? So when people talk about developing AI systems, they sometimes think very much in terms of, you know, oh, I'm developing this AI and I need to check it's not biased. And then, then you know, when I did all those checks, I can release it in the wild, I'm done. Uh, but of course, robustness is about how can, the, you know, how does the AI behave and uh, to use a good, to use a bit of a techie term at runtime yeah so how can it adapt and learn over time and and will an ai that we created a week ago will it still give accurate predictions next week next month next year and so there's a lot of development in terms of ai that that would actually where we break this whole dependency between let's say design time and runtime but where ais would be continuously adapting yeah so which, you know, it makes it more robust, but then again, you need to also continuously then check, you know, whether you're not introducing a kind of any um, uh, ethical issues. Uh, but fundamentally, um, uh, I think uh, when a lot of people talk about AI ethics, they say, um, they frame it in terms of ethical constraints. You know, this is what we're not allowed to do. And then other than that, you know, game on. I think that's the wrong, the wrong way to look at ethics. Uh, ethics is not just about what you cannot do. Ethics should be how to lead a good life or if you translate it to AI, it's, it's what, are, what are the best ways to apply AI, right? So it, goes, it also goes way beyond regulation, right? So it, it's really saying uh, maybe the most fundamental lesson is is uh, making sure that you use it in the best interest to, let's say for your customers or citizens, not just to the benefit of you as a government or you as a company. And there, need, needs to be, there needs to be this kind of um, um, uh, responsibility in applying AI uh, where, where, you, um, where you have this golden rule, this, this ethics of don't do to others what you want, don't you want, want to be done to you, right? So I think that's the most fundamental actually AI ethical aspect. And you don't see a lot of discussion about it because it, but, but for me, it's the most fundamental one. Okay, so the next question, you've kind of already answered it, but it would be quite nice to do it again, because that way, you know, that then I can choose between which answers you give me, really. <laughs> but it's, it's three key, what are three key considerations of ethical AI? And you know, I quite like the idea of one of those considerations is explainable AI. And one of those considerations is the thing you just said about don't do unto others. So if, if, if you want, they can be two of the three, three key considerations. It's up to you, but, but I quite like those points. So, but anyway, um, three key considerations of ethical AI. Great. So uh, the, yeah, the, what, what are some of these typical, uh, typical aspects of ethical AI? Uh, we, uh, we spoke about fairness and bias. Uh, that, that's 
one that pops up immediately in most of the uh, discussions. So how, do, how can we minimize? We cannot completely remove bias. It's, I think it's important for people to understand that that's not possible right? because you know, making it better for one group will, could affect uh, other groups as well. Uh, but fairness and bias, that's, that, that's an important one. Uh, the other one is more around uh, transparency and uh, explainability indeed, you know, so can we understand how did the AI come to its automated decisions? Can we understand uh, the individual components? So uh, what type of reasoning and rules, but also how did models get to their uh, uh, predictions? Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's uh, for me, uh, the most fundamental aspect is, is about uh, uh, and I always stumble on the word on the word itself. What is it? The ethics of re reciprocity. There we go. You know, so uh, uh, not bad maybe for a non-native speaker. How about uh, the golden rule of don't do to others what you don't want to be done to you? I think that's uh, what I like about that one is that uh, in, indeed, you know, uh, AI ethics get often misinterpreted as it's just about what you can't do. And then uh, with within those constraints, everything is fair game. Whereas this particular aspect really focuses on, you know, not what you shouldn't do, but about what you should do, right? So, um, and uh, that's a very simple, fundamental way uh, to think about uh, making, yeah, making sure that we apply AI in a in a in a good way, in an ethical way. So, how can we make business more productive? And for that matter, how can we make the economy more productive? Um, obviously, using using AI. So, um, you know, like when, when I look more from the perspective, let's say the perspective of uh, uh, Pega, the company I work for. Huh? So we have roughly, let's say, three areas uh, where we're using uh, AI. Uh, one is more in one-to-one -one customer engagement, one-to-one uh, -one marketing. So it's, it's helping. Uh, the irony in here, the irony is then uh, that we use technology to uh, help companies to become more human. Yeah. Because of course, in the past, you know, you had your little bank branch in a village and uh, the bank director knew everyone. So it wasn't hard to be empathic and to be relevant and not just to be flogging products at, at, at customers. There would, would be a genuine interest in, in improving the financial well-being of all the people in the village, right? So, uh, but in, in, a, in a modern situation, this example where you are a bank and you have 20 different channels to interact with your customers, and most of them are direct, like a mobile banking app. And then uh, um, you could use AI to become more relevant, to understand customer needs, uh, anticipate what they want, uh, understand what's important to them in the moment and, and really provide relevant next best actions, right? So that, that, that's one. Uh, uh, we can use that intelligence also uh, in, in broad applications like customer service, for example. Uh, so. How can we anticipate and can we predict customer problems and fix them before they happen? Yeah, or if customers would engage with you, uh, because we, frankly, we all hate getting in touch with customers for customer service issues. So it's great if they could detect them before they happen and solve them. But if we get in touch with them, and uh, then we can also use that intelligence to, well, to, to try and understand what is the real problem that the customer has? You know, what's the customer intent here? How do we? Uh, what is the most likely problem that the customer has and what is the best resolution uh, that, that, that would solve the customer issue. And so it would help us to, to become more proactive in our customer service and, and, and to 
uh, maybe also automatically or alongside an agent um, uh, resolve those issues. Yeah, and then fundamentally, the, the, the third area where we apply it is, is intelligent automation. Yeah, so uh, which is a rather grandiose term uh, because aut automation is something very fairly generic. Uh, but I think we all recognize that um, yeah, there are benefits to automation if you take a paper process or a process built across 20 different legacy systems or people just emailing uh, internally to get things done, that there's a benefit in automating that process more end-to-end. Uh, -end. Yeah, but there are also limit, limits to those benefits in, because in a way we're just copying the process that already exists into a new system. Yeah? So yes, there are automation benefits, but where AI can help is to go beyond automation into optimization. So uh, how can we truly maximize kind of business and customer outcomes when we're doing all these mundane tasks. So uh, let's say if I have a, a claims um, system at an insurance company, how can we become more efficient? Uh, so which is, you know, like maybe there's a surge of claims because of COVID coming in, but how can we still with the same set of people uh, deal with all those claims that are coming in, but also how can we become more efficient? And uh, so how can we use AI to steer towards making sure that, uh, let's say it's a healthcare insurer that all my members that they get top quality care as quickly as possible. And on the flip side uh, that we detect uh, the evil dentist uh, that's trying to push through some, some fraudulent claims uh, by saying, well, I, um, today uh, I pulled a hundred teeth uh, for, for, uh, for Michael and just submitting all these tiny little uh, 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 <laughs> claims one per tooth. All right, so um, AI can really help towards uh, optimizing them for business and customer outcomes to go beyond the benefits uh, you would already have, let's say, through just automating the process. Right. So this question is quite long, so I'm going to read it because I don't think I can memorize it. <laughs> um, so history shows that technology can have negative effects in the short term, but positive benefits in the longer term. Uh, for example, oh yeah, so for example, during the 18th and 19th century, there is evidence from um, records from the British Army that the average height of new recruits actually fell um, during the first few decades of the 19th century, but then later started to increase again, which, you know, and height being a proxy for, you know, for diet when you were younger. So will it be similar with AI? Will there be a, a, a long-term benefit, but a short-term problem? Yeah, so... Um... I think that's a, a great observation. Huh? So, um, because you know the the environment changes, huh? so there's an effect of a technology on the environment. Uh, I must say that huh, there's also another law, which is called Amara's law, uh, uh, that people tend to overestimate the effect of a certain technology in the short term. And there, you see it in AI. People are already kind of are uh, robots taking over the world next year but they underestimate the effects in the long-term. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, yeah, the effects in the long-term is also because there's an interaction between technology and, uh, and, and society, right? So, um, um, yeah, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm a sucker for quotes, yeah, but there's another one is, uh, first we shape the tools and then the tools shape us. Yeah, so first we invent AI, but then AI starts to invent us. We start to behave differently uh, because of the AI. And, but I also said at the start, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in agency, right? So we, we cannot always uh, kind of uh, predict these kind of side effects. 
uh, but we need to be aware that they might happen. And then, then I'm a big believer that, that humans are actually quite adaptable and they can adapt to these circumstances. So there will be jobs. Yes, will there jobs that, that, that will disappear? Yeah, there will be jobs that disappear, but there will be new jobs uh, that, uh, that will come back for it, right? So I think ultimately, um, uh, yeah, I, th I think there's a big opportunity to, to, for AI to help with, um, not with just with the glamorous things like self-driving cars, but, uh, but also with automating away a lot of the mundane work that's happening in, in, in businesses, right? So, and, and optimizing those, those kind of rather mundane tasks uh, to make sure that, that, that we as humans can focus on the things that we are best at, you know, coming up with whatever, creative questions and solutions and, uh, and, and, and leave some of the mundane stuff more to the, uh, to the AI that we're collaborating with. Okay, interesting. Not necessarily for the interview, but just something I think is very interesting. Your point about um, overestimating in the short term and underestimating in the long term. You know, Ray, Ray Kurzel often says that it's human nature to think linearly, whereas technology often changes exponentially. But yeah. if that's true, that explains that explains why we overestimate in the short term and underestimate in the long run, because that's exactly what happens if you think linearly and something changes exponentially, because with exponential things change very, very slowly and then get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I often sometimes think that's what happened with COVID. I think in the early days of COVID, um, people were thinking linearly, but in fact, the virus was spreading exponentially. So we underestimated yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. We learned agree. that lesson eventually, but it was a painful lesson, you know. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I think, uh, so it's, it's both an, uh, um, the, this idea of, uh, let's say, overestimating the short term, but underestimating the long term. And missing out on the fact that um, uh, first we invent, invent the tools and then the tools, uh, the technology, and then the technology actually changes us. That adaptability, that's something that, let's say, both the tech bros, uh, the techno utopians, as well as the, uh, the Luddites, uh, the dystopians, sometimes miss out on, right? Because uh, techno utopians go like, well, everything will be perfect. And they miss out on this idea that, you know, like we cannot foresee all the side effects and actually that we are in a very dynamic system where uh, the world will change because of it, right? So, uh, so they're missing out there on, the, on that adaptability. Uh, but, but, but likewise, the Luddites, uh, by, by saying, well, and then bad things will happen and there's nothing we can do about it. They're, they're missing out on this, this key aspect that we as people, uh, we were never able to predict the future really well, but what we were good at typically, you know, maybe it hurts uh, and it took a while, but we're good in adapting. And yeah? so uh, in that sense, uh, we get like quasi philosophical. I, I don't just believe in the singularity. Well, I believe in the singularity in the sense that uh, there will be, there, there's a place in time where we, that we cannot look beyond because we cannot imagine that future. But I think we're on a line of singularities. The singularity has happened many times before. Yeah? When we were hunter-gatherers, we could not imagine what the world would be like as farmers. When we were farmers, we could not imagine what the industrial society would look like. When automation started, uh, we, we, we couldn't foresee a future where you know, we would have tons of automation, autom you know, um, uh, tons of automation helping us with everyday processes, but also 
right? when you think from an AI perspective, it's hard for us to, to look beyond that particular point. Doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it, right? So I think that's a key point that, that maybe both the, techni- yeah, the, the, the extremes of the continuum, both the, the tech bros uh, as well as the, uh, the Luddites are, are, are kind of m- missing out on this kind of whole aspect of uh, adaptability and that the world is constantly changing uh, where we're constantly adapting to these new technologies. How important is digital transformation to a company um, and not just a company for that matter, you know, the, the economy, the country, maybe us as individuals, maybe we all need, maybe COVID was a digital transformation moment. Um, can you just talk about digital transformation for a moment? Company specific, but if possible, try and broaden it into a, into a broad context as well. But I'm happy with it just being company related. So, uh, I mean, is there a digital transformation important for companies or maybe for uh, societies and economies as a whole? Eh? Yeah. Yes, of course. Eh? So not just companies, but also governments or public organizations and, and, and ultimately uh, in individuals. Eh? So uh, I think you just need to look at uh, whatever, how, uh, I don't know, how a 12-year-old is updating her uh, Snapchat or whatever. You can see a digital transformation at an individual level in full swing you know, editing an entire kind of mini TV clip um, in, uh, during dinner. Um, has so, um, uh, yeah, that, that's, I think that's a, a nice example of transformation at individual level. And so, um, so digital transformation is, is very important to uh, companies, of course. And um, I think also, um, it's oversold, not oversold as a concept, but when people say digital transformation, so to, to go back to how AI can help optimize mundane tasks, digital transformation is not just automating. It's not just taking your existing paper processes and then put them into a digital system. Because if your process, let's say, sucks, your digital process will suck as well, excuse, excusez les mots. Eh? So um, uh, transformation is really about doing things differently eh? in, a more, uh, in, a more optimal, in a more optimal manner. And I think um, in that sense, COVID has helped to accelerate uh, that, that process as well, right? So in, um, in, in uh, companies taking some bolder steps in terms of um, changing how they, how, how they are engaging with uh, uh, with customers, for example, right? So, um, uh, or uh, changing the way how they, uh, yeah, intelligently uh, automate uh, automate work. Yeah, and if we want to keep up with the kids, uh, we, we we better do that, right? Because they have, you know, these kind of more modern expectations of the of the they're the the other side of the equation. They're the future consumers. Uh, these are the expectations that. Uh, kids would have from the companies that they actually uh, deal with. Uh, ultimately, we're social animals. We, we, we humanize companies and we expect them to understand our needs and do what's relevant for us in the moment and make it quick and make it, make it frictionless and make it seamless, right? So um, if we want to, uh, uh, well, if, if we want to satisfy the needs of those future consumers, uh, we, we better kind of digitally transform and because they will vote with their feet. They will work with, a competitor, bank, telco, insurance company, whatever, as opposed to uh, the, 
the companies that not have transformed. And that could also be kind of a wider type of thing. And you were saying that will it change society or econo economies? Uh, so uh, this type of transformation uh, could happen across an entire value chain of companies that are working together, uh, or it can also help in, in um, uh, opening up uh, certain electronic markets, uh, let's say for green energy or, or whatnot, uh, making those more efficient. Uh, or at the societal level, it could help with uh, providing uh, more equal and, uh, access to, uh, to education. Uh, so th those are, uh, this is how kind of micro level changes for one individual company can actually expand to value change or even expand to uh, societies and uh, economies as a whole. Okay, that's great. So the last question, and I need you to get your crystal, balls, crystal ball out for this one. Um, which is um, three predictions, if possible. One prediction would do, but three would be nice for the year 2030. Oh, 2030, that, that feels like uh, very far away. Um, yeah, so I think, um, well, let's, let's maybe use, like I said at the beginning, you know, like uh, um, I work in, in maximizing, you know, positive impact of responsible AI in business. Uh, in society as well as in, in, in research eh? by, by being kind of uh, four days a week uh, working at a company, doing it for business, one day a week at, at, at university. I think in terms of AI and business, eh? so um, uh, I already spoke about it a, a little bit, but I think we'll uh, see a big move from uh, not just the photogenic uh, applications of AI, uh, the, the self-driving cars, and uh, uh, the prosthetic robot uh, limbs uh, to, uh, um, to actually solving uh, very mundane everyday processes and work. And that sounds maybe a little bit, uh, let's say almost to the point it's mundane and, and boring. Yeah, but I think really that uh, people talk a lot about hyper automation. I really don't like that work, word, eh? apart from the hyper, which sounds a bit more like a 90s uh, corny uh, uh, electronic dance music song. Um, it has the word automation in there, right? So how, uh, and like I said, automation gives you some benefits, eh? but it, it's not in, in um, maybe doing um, things in a better way, but not doing better things, right? So I think we really need to uh, what, what really will happen is that it will be used to, to go beyond automation into optimizing for business and customer outcomes and using the smarts of AI uh, to, to really drive towards like, uh, you know, what, what is the best process we should execute now? How, what kind of problem are we looking at actually, you know? What are the best ways to resolve this particular business problem uh, in, in individual business processes? And so that's going in AI and business, it's going beyond hyper automation into business optimization. I think in terms of our relationship with AI and AI in society, uh, there's a lot of um, developments now around ethical AI and responsible AI. Uh, so we're essentially, I think we're going to move or have to move from AI puberty to AI, well, let's say, let's be a little bit modest to AI adolescence, right? So, um, uh, when AI was a kid, we were techno utopians, everything was going to be beautiful. We're now entering this puberty you know, where things, topics like AI ethics, uh, responsible AI, they, they're kind of popping up. Uh, the industries were thinking they could do it through self-regulation, but um, 
governments everywhere are starting to introduce, let's say, proper regulation, which is a good thing. Uh, take, uh, well, um, the EU as well, for example, uh, uh, introducing their proposal for trustworthy AI uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and we'll see more and more of that. Uh, but then we also want, are going to look at like, yeah, but how can we, how can we operationalize that? Uh, how can we make sure it's not just nice policy talk, uh, but that we can really embed it in, in, in tools, methods, systems, people uh, that, that we can make, um, that we can make trustworthy AI uh, a reality. And that will allow us to kind of grow up, to, to enter from, to exit puberty and enter adolescence. So that's more in the AI society and then maybe AI in, in research. I think uh, once we solved artificial intelligence, then it's, you know, we're ready to move to artificial X. So uh, I already joking said in the beginning that that's something that more from a research perspective uh, something I'm interested in. Uh, I said jokingly because AI will never be solved, eh? but it, it, it's, it, of course, uh, the reason why AI is so fascinating is because it, it tells us something about, not about the robots and the AI, it tells us about something about us as humans. Eh? What is intelligence? Where, where is it coming from? How can we learn? And, and, and it's also interesting then to, to not be restricted to just intelligence uh, but to move to these other topics of artificial creativity or artificial uh, emotions or artificial uh, whatever makes us uh, makes us human and uh, that has nice research implications uh, it tells us more about who we are as humans we also better understand the limits of those metaphors but ultimately it also has impact in well, uh, business applications. Looking at artificial acts will also have business impact. Eh? When, uh, when we talk about, let's say, uh, artificial creativity, uh, it, it's also uh, how can we, how can the AI become a little bit more creative and work alongside uh, humans to all kinds of creative tasks that exist in business, like design, for example. Yeah? Or when I say, when I talk about artificial emotions, uh, it's uh, especially when you're dealing with citizens and customers uh, and you need to really make sure that you do it in a responsible way but it's crucial to understand to not just have a rational have a high IQ uh, as a, you also need to have a high EQ emotional quotient and, and really understand um, you know, what, what is the emotion uh, of your uh, of the customer that you are dealing with uh, and use that in a responsible way of course or ultimately artificial morality. Yeah, when uh, one of the, the key cornerstones of AI ethics for me is not about transparency and bias and all of those things, which are very important, uh, but can all be summarized to the golden rule of, uh, uh, you know, uh, don't do to others what you, what you don't want to be done uh, to you, right? So how can we build that, uh, those ethical principles into logic and AI that, that companies use to interact with customers, for example, to make sure that you're not just maximizing your own profit, but you're, you're, you're maximizing, yeah, you're optimizing the value the customer is getting out of the relationship as opposed to uh, just the other way around. Yeah, so in, in that sense, uh, going beyond artificial intelligence and looking at these artificial other things that make us human, they can have very practical, uh, practical business impact as well.
Great. I'm thinking that when you're talking about mundane examples of artificial, I don't know whether this is artificial intelligence or whether it's something more basic than that, maybe it's RPA, I don't know. But mm -hmm. I'm thinking the other day I was sending someone an email. I said, if there's a problem, call. And it threw my, my telephone number appeared. And I thought, that's clever. It knew I was a it knew I was about to type my telephone number in. Or if you're registering for something and you know, it sends you a, a text me message with the, with the key, it appears on the screen. I think that, that's really clever. And that's something I've only become aware of in, in recent months, doing things like that. Or the other one, which I remember was very shocked the first time I discovered it, was when someone was ringing me and they weren't in my address book but my phone had worked out I had an email from this person. They said, maybe it could be so-and-so, maybe it's so-and-so. Yeah. It's just it's all very clever stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I think it's, it's all, of course, yeah, it all requires proper consent and opt-in, etc. But ultimately, uh, I think uh, I said mundane rather jokingly because I, th I think it's less photogenic, but, but, but it's really important to help customers, but also employees or your B2B, business to business counterparts to get stuff done, you know, just help people to, to, to get stuff done and not just by automating it, but, 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 you know, being smart about trying to understand what is the outcome that the customer wants here or that the business needs or that the employee needs to, to, to reach and how can we use the intelligence to, to get you to that outcome quicker, faster, or maybe also to, to, to better outcomes. I think that's the big opportunity actually. And uh, you, you can see AI now trickling down into these kind of, uh, into these core business processes that we are executing anywhere in, in, in a business and, and, and not just automating the steps, uh, but maximizing the outcomes uh, to, uh, to make it easier for the customer, better for the employees, deliver the outcomes for the business. I think uh, that's where, yeah, what, we, what we will see is that AI will get into the veins in that sense, not just the arteries, but into the veins of these organizations, right? And, and, and really help, um, yeah, optimize all your, uh, all your business processes.